Well, congratulations on your matriculation into the prestigious Apartment Academy. The Apartment Academy podcast is the multifamily industry's only operations-focused podcast that features insights from industry leaders, investors, vendors, and technology providers. So if you invest in multifamily real estate uh, or if you're involved in day-to-day on-site operations of apartment buildings, we're your source for efficient operations and maximizing your ROI. Today's podcast was with um, John Kasman of Kasman Capital Group. And John is a classic story of um, somebody getting interested in real estate investing, not coming from the industry, starting with you know two units and you live in one and, and figuring kind of it out from there and growing a, uh, a real estate empire. Um, but I think the interesting thing that John brought to today's discussion is the the uh, the importance of building a network so that you can expand your available investors so that you can really leverage um, other people's capital to grow real estate investments faster than you ever could on your own. Um, very interesting take. Here is Professor Kasman. Hi, John. Welcome to the Apartment Academy. Daniel, thank you for having me today. Yeah, really appreciate it. Uh, you taking the time to join us. You're a, a podcaster, a prolific podcaster in your own right. Uh, so it's great to have a f- uh, fellow professional here in the academy. You're a professor and a professional <laughs> podcaster. Um, <laughs> That's right. John, you have um, you have a, a slightly different, I think, path or interesting path that you took to getting into multifamily. Why don't we, or, or investing, or real estate investing generally, I don't know that it's all multifamily. We'll find out if there's any other product types that you invest in here. But um, let's talk, talk a little bit about your background and, and how you got into uh, real estate investing. Yeah, so I spent 15 years in corporate America doing marketing and advertising for major companies and big brands. Uh, I worked at General Motors at one point, uh, worked at an advertising agency doing campaigns for Nike, Mountain Dew, Coors Light, and other big brands like that. And what really happened for me is back in my time in Detroit at GM, uh, I was there from 2007 to 2011. And as many of you recall, that's when we had kind of that economic downturn. And it really started with the automotive industry. You know, um, you know, we had the big three CEOs that went down to Washington and, you know, talked about needing some help. And, you know, that didn't go very well. And ultimately, what ended up happening is we had a structured bankruptcy. And as you might imagine, from what, I think April 2008 to, you know, um, you know, the new year and kind of having a new president come on board, there was a whole lot of uncertainty and anxiety. And I felt like every day um, was a miserable, (laughs) a miserable day for a lot of us. Because, yeah, and it's just, it was the unknown. I mean, it's, it was one thing to know, okay, hey, I'm gonna need to get a new job or whatever. But we didn't know for so long. We didn't know if we were going to be able to go through bankruptcy. We didn't know if it was going to be structured. If you recall the election, I mean, the, the previous president, uh, I believe it was President Bush at the time, just kind of threw his hands up and said, I'll let the next person deal with it. And, you know, when President Obama came in, there was a car czar and all this other stuff. I say all that to say what became abundantly, abundantly clear to me during that time was I couldn't rely solely on a W-2 job. I watched some of my colleagues get let go. Um, one individual in particular had worked with the company for 20 plus years, had, you know, was a lifer is what you call him, right? He was a guy who was going to work there until he retired. And that got 
pulled from under his rock and he was no longer a lifer and he had no plan B. And I remember listening to the voicemail I got from him that day and I felt a tremendous amount of empathy for him in the situation he was in. But I also never wanted to be in that situation myself. And I started to figure out, okay, how can I get some other income? What else can I do for, for money? And I remember real estate, you know, many people invest in real estate. It's not the most complex thing in the world. It certainly can be complex, but if you can do, you know, third or fourth grade math, you could probably invest in real estate, at least mm -hmm. at a basic level. Yeah. And um, I just set out to do that. And it took some time, but I started with the the duplex bought a two-unit property in chicago house hacked it which means i lived in one unit rented out the other unit and from there i started started to build up a portfolio bought a three-unit building eight-unit building did some flips hated that uh and then ultimately scaled into larger commercial real estate through syndication yes and and what's the status of the of the company like how many properties do you currently invested in and um, and what, what, what are the product types that you're invested in? We've done over 10 syndications, uh, over $100 million worth of real estate, uh, all apartments with the exception of one hotel deal. Um, and that deal, we we're more of an advisor partner, but uh, we've done nine apartment syndications um, and then one, um, like I said, the one hotel. And then also have, you know, own my own um, apartments as well. So I've done about, you know, four or five deals that uh, I've owned myself. Amazing, amazing, classic story, starting with the two unit, and you live in one and, and go from there. Um, you know, we the, the here at the academy, our focus is generally on operations. There's plenty, I think, of really smart people, including yourself, talking about investing and, and some of the strategies. Um, so we don't spend a lot of time talking about the investment side here. We're going to talk about a little bit of that today, of course. Um, but as I was uh, reviewing, I, you know, I took a look at your your company's website. I listened to a few of the podcasts. I listened to Ruben Kanya and I listened to John Saunders, some folks that talked about marketing and branding because there is very clearly a theme running through your podcasts. While, while you do cover sort of the gambit of real estate investing, there's re very clearly a theme, and that is the importance of marketing and branding in real estate investing. And I have to be honest, I never really put those two together. And I have a bias, which I'll talk, talk about here in a second, that I, that, that, um, that I never really came to terms with, um, that now I understand. But, but why don't you start, talk a little bit about um, branding and marketing first before I talk about sort of the revelation that I had, you know, listening to the content you've, you've created. Daniel, I was right there with you for a long time, right? I mean, I was the guy who's got this marketing background, and to me, they were two completely separate things. Real estate investing to me for probably the first seven years I was investing was about uh, operations, meaning you know property management, um, construction management, turns, maintenance, those kind of things. So I spent a ton of time learning that. And focused on, you know, reading books, listening to podcasts, attending events, connecting with other investors, and really trying to understand how do you, you know, manage rental properties. The first, um, the first three properties I bought were self-managed. My wife and I just managed those properties. When we bought the eight-unit building, that was our first commercial property, and we hired a professional management company, and we did it very intentionally. We did it because I knew I wanted to start 
at least warming up to the idea of working with other people. And in order to do that, I wanted to check the boxes with some new categories, right? I wanted to have experience in commercial real estate. I wanted to have experience managing a property management company. And I wanted to have experience, you know, dealing with a resident base that was a little different from more of the B-class residents I was dealing with at that point. So that was all very intentional to give me get me more comfortable to scale. But it wasn't until, I don't know, man, I was, I was probably... It was past when I launched the podcast, um, and what made me more comfortable was, I mean, I was probably a year into the podcast before it truly clicked. And what I mean is, I launched the podcast with the understanding of two things. One, I wanted to connect with other potential investors and give them a chance to get to know who I was and connect with me. But two, the show launched as Target Market Insights, and it was really about how to find the best places to invest. Right. So I launched that show because I was in Chicago and I knew how to find good markets in Chicago because I was there. I was working in advertising. I was around a bunch of young people. So I could just ask them, hey, where do you live? Where are you looking? And you know, I got a pretty good sense of the neighborhoods people were looking into. When I was looking in different cities, though, it became very difficult because I didn't have that crutch to lean on. I didn't have all the other investors around me or all the other renters around me. So I didn't know where people really wanted to live. I didn't know what part of town was was picking up steam or had some new developments coming in. And I realized that I couldn't just rely on that gut feeling. Even when I spoke to someone who was local, they'd say, oh, well, you know, this part of town is cool or check this neighborhood. I'm like, if I'm gonna work with other investors, I can't tell them that, hey, this is a hot part of town because Mikey said so. You know, I'm like, I got to figure out, like, what data points are we using to find the best places to invest? And that's why I launched the show, you know, to sit down with other successful investors and ask them flat out, what data points are you using? What metrics are you looking at? And how are you doing it? So that's where it started. Yeah. And then literally what happened was I thought about what I was doing. I almost had this imposter syndrome is really what took place. And I stepped back and I realized that every business has the same functions. Every single business you could think of has a sales and marketing uh, component. And if I thought about real estate the same way, that was an area where I was extremely well-versed and extremely confident and I had a lot of experience. And that imposter syndrome wasn't as relevant. Certainly, I'm not the best construction guy. If you ask me, should this cost 225 a square foot or 275 a square foot, I'm just going to shrug my shoulders. I don't know. I have no idea. But from a marketing, brand building, you know, putting together funnels and systems and social media, those kind of things, absolutely. And when I was talking to people, I realized those were the challenges many of them had. Even going back to what I was just talking about, you know, finding the best place to invest, that's market research, right? That's all it is. It's market research. It's data points. It's understanding what's happening in the market. It's interviewing prospects and understanding what are they looking for in the same way we would do consumer research. So once you start to understand that component of it, it became much easier for me to go out there and focus on what I can do well and then supplement that with someone else who maybe was better on the construction front or better on uh, other aspects of property management. Yeah, so um, we're... um but what's implied in the importance of the marketing market, but by the way, I totally agree. I mean, people often think that finding the deal is the hardest part. And 
and true. It, it, there is without a deal, there is no deal. And so um, the skill in ferreting out, understanding the market, research resources that you have and comparing. And sometimes it does feel hyper local where you really have to know local markets, although sometimes not. Um, you, know, you can be successful um, with, you know, um, being able to just look at market comparisons and comps and that sort of thing. But but being hyper local certainly helps. But but what really struck me, I've worked for so I've worked for two very large syndicators. I worked for Aimco at the time, probably it was the largest multifamily REIT in the country. All kinds of, I, I don't know, maybe I worked with 50 different syndication partners in that in that capacity. Um, and then I went to work for a syndicator here in Los Angeles, and um, which really launched my career in property management. Um, but, the, but the one thing that all those syndicators generally had that had never really struck me is that they were they had money already, or they had a network of wealthy people already, and uh, and the thing that people forget about real estate investing is even if you find the deal, if you don't have access to if your friends, if your direct network of friends are not wealthy, cannot afford to give you, you know, starting out maybe ten to fifty thousand dollars, you you're not going to get anywhere, and what 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 really struck me is the marketing and branding that you're talking about on your website and in your podcast is largely about building credibility for yourself so that people will come and invest. And that is the what the hardest thing that I think um, that stymies most people from getting into real estate is why you find there are, you know, Donald Trump's in the world that generally get all do get all of the the attention as the large investors because to gather like just I look, I just a kid grew up in Iowa. I didn't I didn't have uh, there was no billionaire in my network, right? So it's really hard to make that leap into buying a hundred, two hundred million dollar assets that you that you think about at at institutional class investing. And so um, I have a lot of respect for uh, the diligence it takes to build that network. And that's what I'm really interested in hearing about today. What has been successful? Because people that listen to this podcast that want to be in real estate investing are generally going to be people like me, or people like you, who you know do not have a billionaire in their circle that can fund all of their investments. They're going to have to build that real estate investing network. So talk to me a little bit about, let's start with the number one most important thing you found in building credibility and, and reaching people that might be interested in investing in your deal. Well, first of all, I got to thank you for recognizing that because it is critical and it is a big shift because even a decade ago, the things we're talking about weren't really available for the average person. The Jobs Act actually made it much easier to syndicate and to raise money from people in your network. So that has opened up the door where I honestly didn't even know this existed when I started going down this pathway. When I bought that eight unit building, my goal was just to buy a 16 unit building and bring on one investor. You know, if I could raise half the money, maybe I could raise half the money and I can get a 16 unit. What ended up happening is I realized that there was this thing called syndication. I yeah. started surrounding myself with people who were in this space <laughs> and we ended up being a GP on 192 units down in San Antonio, Texas. So you asked about the one thing and I'm gonna give you three, okay? There are three C's to attract capital. And the very first thing is confidence. The confidence has to come from putting in the work. 
You cannot fake this. I'm not talking about fake hubris. I'm talking about knowing your stuff. You don't necessarily have to have experience in what I'm in, in real estate investing or in apartment investing, but you have to have the confidence in the work that you've put in. Yeah. Listening to podcasts like this, being a part of the Apartment Academy, you know, listening to shows like my multifamily insights, reading books, attending events, doing everything you can to educate yourself. It's going to come from putting in the reps so you are ready when the opportunity presents itself. The second C is credibility, exactly what you said. Credibility can come from experience. If you've done deals like that, great. But it doesn't have to be your own experience. It can also come from the team you build. If you've got a great property manager, brokers, a mentor, advisor, a coach, people around you, partners, if you surround yourself with people who have that experience, well, that's going to help make you more credible when you're talking to people. So it always helps to surround yourself with a team of people that can lift you up and help you navigate the areas where you may not have that level of experience. Mm -hmm. And then third, the most important, connections. This is where most people make a mistake. You hit on it. You know, most people do not have billionaires in their family. Most of us don't even have millionaires or multimillionaires in our family. And if you do, you got one, right? So you don't have the ability to just go out there ask your friends and family to invest in your next deal and have the money wired into your account. So what do you do? You've got to make those connections. Instead of trying to ask your friends and family, which is what most people do, what I would suggest is you want to tell your friends and family what you're doing. Again, this is assuming that you've built up the confidence and you put in the work. You know, you've built your credibility, you've surrounded yourself with a team. So when you're talking to them, you're showing them, hey, here are the people I'm working with. Here's what I'm doing. Here's the way it works. Do you know anyone who might have an interest? By asking for a referral or an introduction, it makes it much easier to build that connection as opposed to asking them to invest. If they have the means to invest, they may say, what about me? Or, you know what, that sounds like something I might have an interest in. But if not, they may be able to think about who it is in their network that they could tap into. And I think that is really critical for people to not force their friends and family to decide whether or not they want to put their money into a relationship that has been personal up to this point. Right. Some people just may not be comfortable doing that. But making an introduction is something most people would be willing to do if you've presented yourself as someone who's confident and credible and you presented yourself as someone who's seriously looking at you know, the actions you're looking to grow with your business. And how do you build, um, which, well, let me rephrase it differently. Which one of those three can be most impacted by marketing and branding? That's a great question. Um, if you're just looking to l turn on the lever for branding, that's going to be a combination of credibility and connections and probably connections primarily because the whole point of that is to put you in front of more people. Uh, first of all, let's, let's break up marketing and branding because I think people don't always understand the nuances of advertising, marketing and branding. Sure. Branding is really the way people see you. You know, when I say Nike, whatever you think, that's their branding, right? If you think about champions, you think about shoes, you think about the top performers, that's the brand, right? The advertising is what content they put together to help influence the brand. 
And then the advertising is just one component. There's also the marketing, which is everything from the distribution to um, the channels that they use and everything else that goes into the sales and marketing um, process. So there are a couple of layers there that come into it. So when you think about your brand, just like you've got the Apartment Academy here, you have your background, your experience, there are things that are gonna quickly pick up with the listener that will make them feel a certain way about you. People who knew me before I was in real estate, they knew me as a marketer. And that may be all they know about me, just like people who you know, know Nike, know them as an athletic brand. Well, if Nike came out with a television tomorrow, you know, would you think it was a credible thing you'd wanna buy? Yeah. Maybe not. Right. When Apple first transitioned from computers to the iPod, you know, people were like, what? Like, that's Sony's territory. Sony's got the walkman. What are you doing? But then they did that, and then they came out with phones. And they were like, what? You're going to make phones? That's Nokia's spot. What are you doing? You don't make phones. But then they did that, and they were able to expand the way people saw them. So their brand is now not about computers or about phones or about music devices. It's about electronics and technology and simplifying it. And you can expand your brand, and that's something I think people don't necessarily understand. But you have the ability to do that as long as you know how people see you, where, what value they put in you, and how do you expand that perception. And anybody who has success as a professional can expand that into either real estate or related areas. So then tell me about what's in your brand toolkit. What can you use to craft a brand that represents this shift in your, you know, your professional career and competency? Absolutely, man. I think the very first thing is you have to focus on the confidence, and that's going to come from your education, as I mentioned before. Because if you can't if you're not passionate about it and you don't understand it, that goes into the hubris space, right? Because now you're trying to fake it. And I hate the term fake it till you make it, right? I, I just, I don't like it at all. What you need to do is put in the reps to build true confidence. Because if I put you in a room with somebody who can invest and you don't know the material, you don't understand why this is a good market, you don't know why this is a good deal, you don't understand the numbers of the deal structure, you're going to fall apart. So you have to have that level of confidence when you're reviewing opportunities and looking at opportunities there. That's where the credibility in your team comes into place to make sure you didn't miss something, right? So for me, I think that is really critical is making sure you don't miss the boat on the level of confidence that you are investing in. And then from there, now it's a matter of how do I get in front of more people? How do I tell this story to people who may have an interest? Because when you think about your toolkit, it's a matter of, okay, let's let's say I do want to talk to a cousin of mine. Well, what am I going to say to my cousin? Am I just going to pick up the phone? Am I going to shoot him a text? Or am I going to send an overview? Am I going to send him a website? Am I going to send him a podcast episode that I've done, a blog article that I've written? I want to make sure that I can position myself as someone who is serious and credible. Even if it's someone who doesn't know me, this is going to be their first interaction with me. And if all I have is my voice and a phone call, well, you know, eh, maybe, maybe we'll see about this guy. But if I can send you written documentation, if I can send you a podcast that I've been on, if I can send articles that I've written, if I can send you, um, you know, um, you know, events that I've spoken at or, or events that I organize, I'm going to be way more credible as our initial interaction uh, moves on. You're going to realize that, okay, this guy actually knows what he's doing or he's got some experience here. Same thing with the family. 
if I tell my friends and family that, hey, I'm going to go into apartment investing, well, they may write me off at first. But if I say, hey, you know, I'm really serious about apartment investing. I've been investing for X amount of years. I've launched this podcast. Check out a couple of episodes. Here's how it works. And by the way, I'm also hosting these events they're going to realize that John is really seriously dedicated to this space. So you want to really look into that toolkit to say, how can I demonstrate the level of commitment that I have so that people understand that this is not a fad, this is not something that I'm interested in, but this is a business that I'm looking forward to build. And uh, is there <clears throat> reaching out to family for 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 investment, probably the most common way people get started, but it is fraught with danger, right? While real estate, if you if you if you're not reckless, um, very rarely goes to zero. So it's usually I'm not going to call it safe, but it's a fairly reasonable investment to ask people to to get involved in. Um, you can fail to markets do turn, right? Rents go. I, I don't know if I'd get in the market right now. I mean, who knows what's going to happen with rents and that sort of thing. Um, is there um, is there a, a, an arguably easier path with strangers, and and is there anything different you do about your brand with strangers who may not have a preconceived notion about your capabilities because they knew you back when? It's a great question, and I love it. And in fact, going back to what we talked about earlier, that's why I don't think you go to family and friends to say invest with me. Uh, I do think that the better option is to find people who like you and find people who are already interested in this activity. So to give you uh, an analogy, let's say I was opening up a bakery, all right? I enjoy baking, whether you know it or not, I enjoy baking and I'm I'm not in real life, but (laughs) in this scenario, right? So I'm opening up a bakery. Um, I'm not gonna call my mom or or my uncle and say, hey, I'm opening up this bakery. Do you wanna buy five sheet cakes for me? Right. Um, No. Why would they want to buy five sheet cakes? Instead, I'm going to say, hey, I'm open up this bakery. You know, um, here's the products that I'm going to have. And by the way, um, we want to work with people who are having large events. So if you know anybody who's having a wedding, a birthday party, an anniversary or other large gathering, I would love to talk to them so I could share a little bit more about, you know, our, our services and catering that event potentially. Right. And now I've given my mom or my uncle or my aunt the ability to think about who they might know who's having a birthday party or an anniversary party or a graduation or a a wedding. And they might say, you know what? Um, Shirley's having a graduation party for her daughter over the summer. Maybe you should reach out to her and uh, maybe she's interested. And that's really more of the approach you want to take because to the point you're making, there's relationships with your family and friends that certainly comes into fold. But I think more importantly, The people you're talking to, they already have to believe in the product or service. Like the difference in that equation is people understand that they want a cake for a large gathering. If you're having a wedding, wedding cake is a part of that that uh, that that process. If you're having a pool party, maybe you don't need a wedding cake. Maybe you don't need a cake at all. Right. So it's a little bit different there. But. In that case, the reason you want to talk to the friends or family is to figure out, hey, who do you know who already is in in real estate? What I have found personally is there are three decisions people need to make before they're interested in investing with you on a real estate deal. First, they have to ask themselves, do I believe in real estate? 
if they don't believe in real estate but they love you, it doesn't matter. Just like you said, if you're not comfortable where the market is today, there's nothing I'm going to be able to tell you about my deal that's going to get you comfortable. You know, if you've invested in a real estate deal five years ago or 10 years ago and it didn't pan out, you can't look at a deal until you reconcile whether or not you still believe in real estate as a vehicle to help you achieve your financial goals. So that is the very first thing. Do I believe in real estate as a vehicle to help me achieve my financial goals? If the answer is yes, we can move on to two. If the answer is no, you're done with that person. That you're not going to get them to change their mind and say, yeah, but it's you, so here we go. Yeah. So the second thing is, do they believe in you? Do they believe in you? I might believe in real estate, but maybe you don't have that much experience, or do I really want to invest with family, or whatever else that roadblock may be. You know, do I believe in this person and their ability to actually successfully invest and oversee this deal? If the answer is yes, great, we can move on. If the answer is no, it doesn't matter what deal you bring me if I don't believe in you because I'm going to believe that you probably missed something or you just don't have that experience, right? So if the answer is yes to those first two, now we can move to number three and actually look at the deal and make an evaluation of whether or not you like the deal. But they've got to decide they like real estate, they like you, and then finally they like the deal. Well, nothing gets nothing um, nothing gets people more interested in real estate investing than an actual deal that's on the table. There's no better way to delineate those folks that actually are interested in investing and folks that just you know want to talk about it. But what would you share? What would what would your before there's a deal when you're trying to build this credibility? What would you share with people? What would you prepare? What would you hand out? What would you you know? What would you try to demonstrate before there's a deal to get people interested and to build credibility? Are you are you building a I mean, do we do things in paper anymore? Is it just all the website? John Saunders was talking about the importance of Twitter. What's the best vehicle to build credibility before there's a deal? Yeah, it kind of depends on your your avatar. So this is going to go straight into marketing and speak here a little bit. But who are you talking to? The avatar being the person, your target. Yeah, you're tar- targeting, right? And if I go back into marketing for a second, let's say we're making athletic shoes. Well, there are a lot of companies that make athletic shoes. Adidas makes athletic shoes, Nike, Reebok, New Balance, uh, Under Armour. There are a lot of brands out there that make athletic shoes. What makes somebody select a Nike shoe as opposed to those other brands? And that's kind of the way you want to think about the the avatar. So who are you talking to? You can't just do what everyone else is doing, especially if you have a deficiency that you can't match up to. I mean, you talked about you're in L.A., right? So if you're out in L.A., you have the investor network there. At least you have the ability to build an investor network out there that I probably would struggle to do. I'm not local, right? So that's one of the advantages. You might say, you know what, we're going to focus on West Coast investors who are looking to invest in more cash flowing markets. Okay, and if that's who you're targeting, now you can figure out, well, what do I need to tell these people? Right. Whether they've invested in real estate before or they haven't invested in real estate before. So from that standpoint, the first thing you have to do is get clear on who you're talking to. What are the challenges that they face with either real estate or you or the opportunity? And what are their goals? There are four things that people have to understand if you want them to take action. They have to understand their fears. You have to understand their frustrations. You have to understand their goals and you have to understand their desires. 
without understanding those four things and which levers you can pull, you're not going to make someone to change their, their opinion or change their actions. So if you want someone to think about investing seriously, you have to talk to them about that. You know, I want to understand, hey, what are your financial goals? You know, what are you invested in right now? You know, I'm invested in real estate. I'll tell you why. Here are the things that I like about it, you know, so you can talk about it at a at a holistic standpoint, but then you can also talk conceptually. Maybe you have a case study or an example of a deal that you've done. Maybe you have uh, some other examples that you can demonstrate, but you want to figure out what are the different things that you need so you can you can convey various messages you mentioned a toolkit earlier and i think that's a great word because you don't want to use a cookie cutter approach and just say okay hey here's some investors here's our website you know good luck hope you invest everybody needs something different i had a call with an investor the other day and they were really focused on cash flow for them they're in a position where they're ready to quit their w-2 job and they want to put the money they have saved up to work so they can receive a return on that and they can walk away from their day job if they wanted i have other investors who are younger and they don't care about cash flow at all they want the appreciation potential they want to get a big pop in five to seven years and that's the reason they're investing I have other investors who really just want the tax benefits. They're paying hundreds of thousands of dollars in taxes, but maybe they are a real estate professional or maybe they own a business where they're taking in passive income through the business and they just want to reduce their tax liability. So we have to understand what problem are you solving for that individual so you can address their concerns the right way. One, one, uh, since we're running short on time, this is such a you know fascinating discussion. We would love to carry this on for hours, but... Um, uh, let me ask you, just shifting gears a little bit, um, what would what is one thing you'd share with people considering getting into real estate investing? One thing you wish you'd known before you got started that you'd want to share with people? I wish I would have really known and understood the value in passive investing. Um, up to that point, you know, I'd really done everything with my own portfolio. My wife and I saved all of our money from our day jobs, and we invested in real estate. And that worked great starting out, you know, especially with the house hacking and the three unit and even the eight unit. What ended up happening from there, though, if I could go back, I would have invested passively instead of trying to do some flip projects. And the reason is flipping is very hands on and you're now talking about blue collar you know, employees, and it's not the same for a guy who was in corporate America his whole life. In corporate America, we sit down, we have a meeting, we say we're gonna, you know, paint this thing blue and it's gonna be done in three days. Well, it's painted blue in three days. That's it, I don't have to come back and check in. And if it's not gonna be done, someone's gonna call me and say, hey man, I know I said it'd be done in three days, but I'm gonna need an extra day or two. In the blue collar world, if you're not there every day over overseeing and supervising, things slip people don't show up and they will just test to see what they can get away with and at the time i was um, at a full-time job i had the smaller rental portfolio was trying to do these flips and by the way i just had my second child i was stretched too thin trying to do all this stuff and i was trying to launch this commercial multifamily um, syndication business so there were just way too many things going on and a better path for me instead of trying to figure out how I could make all the money and generate all the money myself to do these deals was to invest passively. And yes, being passive is not the same as being the operator, but who do you think is more credible? 
the person who has taken their own money, invested passively in these deals, understands what it's like to vet a deal, vet an operator, vet a process, vet a market, and believe in it, and then goes to the other side to allow other people that they know to join them, or the person who's never done a deal, but they're going to go out there and try to do this syndication by themselves for the first time. So for me, it actually would have been easier for me to just find an operator that I trusted, who I could invest with, learn alongside them, and then turn around and try to syndicate from there as opposed to you know flipping and doing all this other stuff I was trying to do to generate income so I could then take those funds and, and turn around and invest in real estate. So just be mindful of how much time you actually have to invest. I know it sounds great to build this great real estate portfolio, but the reality is if you are not prepared, if you have not t- put in the work to understand what it takes to be a great um, property manager or landlord, if you don't really understand construction and rehab, you may be better suited investing passively with a group that has that ability. Amen to that. I mean, everyone's uh, it, early on uh, when you're playing. If you're going to play with your own money, you know the least about what you're doing. It's the it's the it's the last uh, it's the last time you want to be playing with your own money. Um, and there's a reason that the magic behind real estate is leverage, leverage bank month, le- leverage bank debt. You leverage other people's money. You get a promote when you do well, and uh, you make a much better return than than uh, you can if you use all of your own money. That's a that's a great lesson. And there's more to be learned on your website and with your podcast. Do you want to share that with uh, everyone who's listening? Yeah, absolutely. You could check out Multifamily Insights if you want to learn more about the way we we pull insights from other investors and try to understand some of the best processes and practices there. And then we have a sample deal on our website as well. Whether you want to be active or passive, um, I think the key is you don't want to you know be pulling all this together when when it's live. You know, when you got a real deal and you're, you're trying to figure out all this stuff, and that's yeah. just too late. So if you want to get in front of it, either active or passive, so you know what you need to include in a deal or what to look for or try to understand what some of these terms mean, um, check that out at kasmancapital.com slash sample deal. Is there an underwriting model in there as well? There, uh, so we we did underwrite a deal and put in a sample deal we, we put in there. So you'll see the, uh, like the pro forma, um, yeah. but we don't show like, it's not an Excel model, but there is a, there is a pro forma in there. Right, right. Okay, well, John, it's been a real pleasure having you here at the Academy and um, hopefully some folks took some some inspiration away from today's discussion. Uh, it may seem intimidating for you to get into real estate investing when you may don't have a lot of money yourself and the person next to you doesn't have a lot of money but it can be done and um, you're, you're a great resource for folks that wanna go out and venture. So thanks so much, great having you. Absolutely, thank you for having me. I appreciate the time today. Well, that's a wrap on today's lecture with our elbow patch festoon professor of multifamily science. We appreciate you logging in and and listening today. If you've enjoyed these podcasts and you feel like your management company could use a little advice from some of the professors here at the Academy, then go to our website, apartmentacademy.com and click help me. We'll send you a questionnaire and provide individualized responses to your answers at no charge that I guarantee will offer you insights on ways you can immediately improve apartment operations. Until next time, my office hours are posted, class is dismissed.